You're listening to Green Biz Radio, the voice of GreenBiz.com, bringing you news and analysis on business, the environment, and the bottom line. For Green Biz Radio, I'm Matthew Wieland. California's Sacramento metropolitan region is not one that would come immediately to mind for a model of green growth. The capital city and its neighbors have a reputation for sprawling residential developments, long commute times, and poor air quality. But starting about five years ago, the Sacramento Area Council of Governments began work on an overarching plan for the region's growth. The Sacramento Regional Blueprint, as it's called, aims to keep the area as an attractive place for businesses and families to settle, while at the same time making it easier for everyone there to live with a lighter impact on the earth. I spoke with Mike McKeever, the Executive Director of the Council, about the challenges presented by changing a city's way of life, how builders and businesses are benefiting from the new plans, and if this kind of smart growth has got legs. Mike, thanks so much for taking the time to talk today. Um, I want to talk about the Sacramento area's blueprint for smart growth. Tell me, what is the blueprint and what does it have in store for the Sacramento region? Well, the blueprint is a long-range growth strategy that the 31-member SACOG board adopted in the um, fall of 2005 and we've been implementing it since. It calls for a much different future development pattern in the region than we've experienced at least over the last half of the last century. And it's in a way, it's a back-to-the-future concept. The principles are quite simple. Uh, let's put the jobs and the housing and the shopping and the schools and the services purposely close together instead of purposely far apart. Let's uh, provide choice in the housing market so that we're not just building larger lot single-family homes uh, in a suburban context, but providing uh, urban alternatives in places like downtown Sacramento and West Sacramento of row houses, townhomes, condominiums, apartments, higher scale options. But also in the suburban areas, let's uh, provide some alternative housing choices as well that are uh, moderate density located close to transit corridors and provide options for young families and empty nesters and people who want to uh, have a simpler, less expensive lifestyle. I mean, this is a huge shift for Sacramento. I grew up in Sacramento, and it's sort of a city that's built around a series of hubs. You've got downtown Sacramento, you've got kind of Midtown, and then Roseville, Folsom. You've got suburban areas that all feed into these central areas, whether it's for work or for shopping or for travel. How is this changing the growth of the area? How do cities like Roseville, which have really exploded in the last 10 years, how are they going to change in the next 10 years? Well, I agree it's a big shift, um, but it may have some changes that aren't self-evident. The um, sort of one paradigm, uh, a simplistic and not the paradigm that we've chosen to follow here, is is a uh, sort of a, a SAC-centric paradigm, you might say. We're not the blueprint is not all about all roads leading to downtown Sacramento. It's about uh, uh, multiple employment centers in the region, uh, locating housing next to those 
employment centers and having a full complement of uses near to a number of nodes around the region. Um, I think we think that's a far more realistic way to actually make the region function. And in the case of Roseville, uh, Roseville, Rockland, Lincoln area are one of the three large existing employment centers in the region, the others being Rancho Cordova, Folsom, and, and downtown Sacramento and inner west Sacramento. And so in Roseville, what they're doing very aggressively um, is building housing in larger numbers so that those people can live close to where that large employment center is. And so the city has been a real leader in um, adopting the new growth patterns. They've been rezoning land to higher density residential and mixed-use development, uh, building uh, townhomes and mixed-use centers. They rezoned their downtown to allow an additional thousand housing units down there. They've adopted a new plan along one of their um, uh, corridors that leads into the downtown, which has been a classic automobile-oriented uh, roadway historically, and now they're redeveloping it as a mixed-use uh, multimodal place. Uh, they're really aggressively using uh, all of the tools in the Blueprint uh, Toolkit. Now, you, you brought up briefly the employment centers and where people work versus where they live, and I want to come back to that. But before we even get to businesses, how are uh, builders, how are how is the construction industry responding to this? Well, by and large, extremely well, and it's one of the reasons that the blueprint has moved from uh, conceptualization to mainstream implementation so rapidly. Early in the Blueprint project, the local building industry association, Chamber of Commerce, and branch of the Urban Land Institute paid to do uh, market survey research on home buyer and renter preferences. Uh, that was done in the year 2004. And they were very surprised. They used a nationally recognized uh, real estate market research firm, Robert Charles Lesser and Company, to do the survey. And they were very surprised to find that the market for alternative products to what they had been building was much higher than they thought. And that survey was a very important part of uh, them believing that the Blueprint had its feet on the ground and was about trying to provide shelter for uh, choices for shelter that, that segments of the population really want. And a part of that uh, research early that we did was a long-range demographic forecast that showed, like most places in the country, that about two-thirds of the future growth through the half-century mark is going to be in older households. And when you look at what people today, 55 and older, say they want for their next housing decision, uh, two-thirds of those people are looking for what I would call an alternative product, either attached uh, for sale or rent or a small lot single family that has a very small yard that's easier to upkeep and is closer to transit and services and uh, a full range of options for them. So there was more current day demand and uh, there was reason to believe that that demand was going to grow in the future. And then recently with the uptick in gasoline prices, I think the uh, those general trends are, are starting to uh, you know, move more into hyperspeed. 
what are some of the benefits that they see? I mean, obviously, it's a very customer-driven industry. Is that all they need? Is that they do they just need to know that their customers are interested in these um, in these new types of housing, or are there other benefits to to builders? Well, that's certainly. I think any if you ask any builder, that would be number one on their list that they want to make sure that they're you know they're building a product that people want mm-hmm. but they also need the support of the local governments they can't build these products if the local policies and codes don't um, make it legal for them to do so and hopefully even beyond that make it easy for them to do so so that's one of the things that's happened it, it hasn't all been about the blueprint I, I, it's been a confluence of where the market is headed and the local policymakers deciding that that's what they wanted to encourage uh, by updating and reforming their their local codes. What were some of the obstacles that you've had to face in getting this blueprint off the ground and getting it implemented? Well, uh, there were many. Um, to begin with, I think... Um, the culture in the Sacramento region and in many places throughout California, I think this is fair to say, is not a pro-planning culture. There have not been that many success stories where uh, public sector plans were created and successfully adopted and you can point to, okay, there's a, you know, there's a great city or a, a wonderful neighborhood or community uh, that resulted from that. Certainly there are some, but I think by and large people are cynical about the odds that planning is going to lead to something good. And so we had to convince the development sector uh, that this was not just utopian, conceptual, uh, make-a-wish-list type of planning, but feet-on-the-ground planning. And we had to convince the environmental community that this wasn't going to be just another what one of their leaders referred to as talk talk exercise where people said the right things and then never followed up and then with the local governments you know the main reason cities and counties exist is to plan their communities and so they um, and they haven't been that thrilled with some of the planning initiatives historically that have come from the state that have affected how they do their business. And so they're understandably skeptical about um, uh, someone else arriving at the scene, in this case a regional planning agency, to uh, be involved in that. But what happened at SACOG, because this came uh, organically from our board, which is made up of local mayors and county supervisors who initiated it because they saw that the current trends were not leading to higher quality of lives for their constituents. And as the region grew, some of the elbow room got uh, diminished and people's borders started bumping up against each other. And it was more obvious in the here and now that this really is a region, not a series of isolated cities and counties. And so I think that's really sort of the the vision of the local leadership uh, starting the project, what allowed it to eventually flourish and succeed. Going back to sort of the idea of how this will change people's quality of life, if they're not having to commute right. to work, et cetera, um, what has their mm-hmm. response been to these proposed changes in how the region is going to grow? 
at a sort of a macro scale, um, some of the largest supporters of the blueprint are the Metropolitan Chamber of Commerce, which of course uh, is responsible for, whose mission in life is to increase the business, uh, the health of the business climate in the area, and an organization called SACTO, which recruits businesses from around the country and the world to locate here and helps existing businesses to expand. And they both view um, congestion and rising congestion and worsening air quality as threats to the economic health of the region. And they see the blueprint as a solution to those threats. And then on the positive side is this region has gotten some statewide and national um, attention and notoriety for the early successes of the blueprint. They see it as a good uh, positive brand for the region. And in fact, those two organizations, right after the blueprint, demonstrated that regional consensus really was possible here, launched a regional economic development planning uh, process called Partnership for Prosperity to try to develop a, an economic development plan to sort of be a companion document to the blueprint. And one of the four strategic priorities that came out of that planning process is a focus on green energy and clean energy and really wanting to commit the region to being a leader in that regard. And so they've really embraced that and are uh, helping to recruit those businesses and uh, make it a high priority. So I think that's a nice uh, large-scale example of how the business community has embraced this concept. In recent years, there's been a migration, I think, towards Sacramento maybe in the earlier years of the the housing boom that is now ended um in that there's housing there's plentiful housing it's cheap there's also plenty of jobs the downside may be yes you have to commute an hour to get to your job in in heavy traffic are governments or businesses or both starting to see this as sort of the next big selling point for moving to Sacramento for locating your business in Sacramento that you're going to be able to live and work in pretty close proximity? I think we certainly see evidence that that is starting to happen. I don't I don't know that I can honestly claim that it's just at the at the absolute very top of everybody's list, but mm -hmm. I do know that again that the agencies that whose whose mission it is to uh recruit those businesses say that, yes, quality of life is something very high on businesses' lists when they make location decisions, and that the blueprint very much helps to convince people. And they also like to see a functioning governmental sector. They don't like uh, dysfunctional government. And so the fact that we can tangibly demonstrate that we have 22 cities and six counties that um, – at least on most hours and most days, I can't, I can't honestly say, <laughs> you know, every single issue, but we're doing well at uh, this sense of uh, regionalism and partnership and rowing all in the same direction. And it is unusual. I, before I was the director here, I spent most of my career in the private sector and did consulting work around North America. And it's, it's unusual what's happened here and the attention that the local governments have gotten for their uh, consensus behavior is warranted, I think. 
And I wanted to ask a, a little bit about that. Um, prior to your work in Sacramento, you also did some work in Portland, Oregon. I ask about Portland because that's one of those cities that is regularly cited as being one of the best planned cities for exactly this kind of project. Well, and Portland has done, uh, over the last really 35 years, a number of uh, really wonderful things. And I think anybody who has been uh, sort of the gem of the gems there there are many success stories, but the most obvious is the downtown, where they have built a uh, a downtown in a mid-sized city that many large cities would love to have, uh, you know. And it has a lot of housing downtown, a lot of local businesses, as well as uh, some of the national chain retailers. Um, it's uh, got a phenomenal transit system for a North American city anyway. It doesn't quite meet European standards, but they're trying. They've got a streetcar and a light rail system and a bus mall downtown, and they just built an aerial tram uh, up to the Oregon Health Sciences University so that they would be able to continue to expand down on the waterfront because they'd run out of land uh, up on top of the hill in the West Hills. And they've... Uh, done a great job of revitalizing their uh, neighborhood retail streets that, like most cities around the country, many of those fell into disrepair over the last few decades, and they're springing back to life with mixed-use development and housing and local retailers, and it's a, it's a phenomenal success story. This may be far too broad of a question, but what are the differences between Portland and Sacramento? If on whatever level you care to address that, how are those two cases similar or different? <laughs> well, shall, shall we start with the sunshine? <laughs> We've, I've traded rain for sun, and that was a huge upgrade. <laughs> the you know <laughs> the the other the, the first of all the similarity is that the scale is is similar. Um, uh, just in terms of the size of the of the central, uh, you know, the biggest city in the region, and the number of local governments, and the total metropolitan population, they're very similar. They're both river cities. They both got two major rivers uh, that surround them. Um, so those are the similarities. Some of the differences are that Portland has topography, and Sacramento doesn't. And to some extent, that topography uh, has some growth shaping punch to it. And one of the challenges in Sacramento is we're so flat and there's so much land here that there aren't natural barriers to shape the growth. You have to do it with markets and policies rather than geography. And the other, the other thing is that Portland has, uh, they develop new land in much smaller quantities than we have historically in the Sacramento region. You know, a 300-acre new uh, greenfield development right adjacent to the urban edge of the region in Portland is a big, big development. And in Sacramento, we have 3,000-acre master-planned communities all the time. And the, the national building uh, market is prominent in Sacramento and is very much not so in Portland. Portland is made, uh, the industry is a much smaller group of local builders, not exclusively anymore, but primarily. And one of the interesting things that's happened in Sacramento is 
not only have uh, this isn't just driven by Sacramento. I'm not trying to claim that, but but all of the major builders, uh, you know, Pulte and Beezer and KB, et cetera, now have significant infill divisions because they know those products are just different. The, you know, the bag of tricks that they have to have to succeed as an infill builder is is just different, and so they they've set up specialties within their uh, corporations, but you also have, uh, and I, I don't have data to prove this, but the the smaller grained uh, projects that are starting to come in, in say downtown Sacramento and Midtown and inner West Sacramento, uh, many of them are not by the big builders, but by you know smaller locally grown builders. And so again, this is just anecdotal. I don't have the data, but I think that there's a a bunch of small businesses that are being spawned by the changing development pattern to focusing more on the nuggets of small-scale development instead of exclusively the large master plan communities. Right. Certainly that would open up the field to more players if you're not looking at a 3,000-acre development, if you're looking at a block or something. Right. It's and it is. You know, you asked earlier about barriers. I mean, I don't. I don't want to leave the impression, unfortunately, that these smaller infill developments are easy. There's a, there's a specialized set of skills. Uh, you're bringing a higher density product into an existing uh, neighborhood, and so you need uh, sophisticated design skills to make sure that it fits in. You need uh, skills of working with the neighbors on parking and traffic and landscaping and color of the buildings and everything that they care about. And you need um, a finance team that knows how, uh, in many cases, a vertical mixed-use building works, where you have different kinds of tenants and you're mixing retail and office and, and housing. And you know those kinds of teams um, five years ago in this town were non-existent. And they're uh, but the trajectory is very steep in that direction now. Just to give you one statistic, we in the blueprint, we had, had called for uh, a little over 40,000 new housing units in and around the downtown of Sacramento and inner west Sacramento, our sort of sister city across the river here. And um, as of now, 25,000 of those 40 thousand units are either built under construction, already entitled, or actively in the entitlement process. So that gives you some sense of how uh, rapidly some of this change is occurring. Mm -hmm. One thing you mentioned a moment ago is interesting to me, that the national builders are starting to adjust their strategies or develop the skills to to right, grow within right. the blueprint. Do you see this, uh, I guess this is sort of a two-pronged question, do you see this spreading to other cities, whether from the building company side or other cities also actively taking a look at how Sacramento did this? The answer to the last question is I do think because of some of the attention that has uh, shown on this region that that has, that has gotten the attention of some other cities around the state and the country. But I think mainly what's going on is that the trends that are happening are market-based trends, and the national builders see that in many markets around the country. And I think within California, they've come to see the blueprint as a friend, uh, a market-friendly um, 
public policy to help uh, respond to those trends. And I think it's one of the reasons something uh, pretty remarkable happened a week ago, which is a major piece of state uh, land use legislation, which is was was really instigated by our blueprint and our our local senator, Senator Steinberg, who will be the Senate pro tem here in a few more uh, weeks, um, to sort of rearrange how housing planning and regional scale land use planning and transit planning and uh, planning for global warming occurs and the state building industry association cbia um, supports that bill because they see regional blueprint style planning as being beneficial to the direction that the uh, home building industry needs to go thinking about the many differences between Portland and Sacramento. Does it seem like mm -hmm. the Sacramento model may have more application for other cities because it really is not exactly a blank slate, but it is an area that has more or less limitless room for growth right. that right. you're then imposing from you know, top down more right. or less? Portland and Oregon generally have some planning regulatory tools that just don't exist anyplace else in the country. Uh, you know, they have a very sophisticated statewide land use planning system that was put in place in 1973. They have a single urban growth boundary around the Portland region. It's not, it's a boundary that moves. It's not a wall of China that says all development has to be forever more on this side of it and, and farmland on the other. It, it flexes as the need for more building space is evident, but it's still effective at managing growth. And we don't have those tools in California, and I was very aware of that when I came down here. And in fact, the whole uh, theory of the blueprint was using, uh, you know, basically uh, trying to make the, the democracy work by feeding good information to it and actively engaging many, many citizens and stakeholders in the process. Um, and, and, it, and, and it worked because what happened is that people from the far rural areas to downtown Sacramento and points in between looked at the concepts that we were asking them to consider. This, uh, as I say, you know, new old notion of building uh, neighborhoods and villages where different land uses are close together and people have a choice to walk and bike and take transit for at least some of their daily routine. Um, you know, they looked at what that kind of a community would be and said, you know, we like that. We want that. Uh, and it really didn't matter whether they were in downtown Sacramento or, you know, a small uh, town like Live Oak or, or Winters or Placerville. Uh, you know, those concepts manifest themselves on the ground at different scales. It obviously doesn't make sense to build downtown Sacramento densities in winters, but the concepts were really attractive to citizens, and the citizens let their elected officials know that, and uh, they responded. Great. Mike, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us. You bet. I appreciated it. You've been listening to Green Biz Radio. For the latest daily news on business, the environment, and the bottom line, and to sign up for our free newsletters, visit greenbiz.com. <laughs>